1982, there was a pastor in a small town of a small, in a small church in Germany. A guy's name was Christian Four, And uh, he decided he wanted to do something uh, about the political division in their country. So he gathered a small group of people and they just started praying for their country. Now the issue was in Germany back in those days, you weren't allowed to gather to pray to Jesus. It wasn't allowed. But because it was such a small group, the authorities said, okay, we're going to let you do your little prayer thing, but we're going to put all your people that show up on surveillance. Not a big deal. It was just a small group of people. Well, that pastor had such a tremendous faith in God. He believed that God was big enough to do something about all the political issues in their country. And so he kept meeting, and they kept praying. And that group that started with just a few people over the years, it grew and grew and grew. The point in 1988, there was over 70,000 people gathering together to pray for peace in their country. In fact, their church became a place of prayer, became a place of hope in a country that lacked hope altogether. That group, among others, uh, inspired the protest movement that led to the collapse of the Berlin Wall, that led to uh, the end of the Cold War. And you think about all that happened was triggered by a man who had a faith and a trust and a belief that God was bigger than any political divisions that their country might face. Believed that God was big enough and strong enough to solve the issues they were facing. We love stories like that, do we not? As Christians, we love stories of big, bold faith, of people who do crazy, amazing things because they have such a faith in God. We love hearing stories about people who overcome addiction because of their faith, of, uh, of people who uh, uh, can, can overcome outrageous odds. We love hearing stories of people who were healed because of their faith in God. Reminds me in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus talking to his disciples. And he says to them, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, a mustard seed is what you put on that pulled pork, you know, or, or on the little pork that you get from the store with the, with the hot mustard. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's what I'm talking about. Faith that small. Jesus says, if you have faith that small, you can move mountains. Man, I, I want a faith like that. I want a faith that moves mountains. And I'm inspired to hear stories of people whose faith, no matter how small it is, move mountains. But you know, as much as I'm encouraged by that, I'm also encouraged by another kind of faith. Uh, maybe it's not a faith that moves mountains, but it's a faith that no matter what odds we're facing, no matter how difficult circumstances are, no matter how hard life gets, I'm so encouraged by people who have this calm confidence, this peace no matter how no matter what's going on around them, they have this peace that God is in control, right? I mean, especially when you think about the past couple of years. The past two years, you turn on the news, you turn on the radio, you go onto social media, and what do you find? You find anything but calm, anything but peace. There's constant bickering, there's constant arguing, there's opposite sides blaming, one of a, one, one, blaming each other. You've got... Uh, conspiracy theories on both sides of the aisle. I mean, there's all this stuff going on. And with this steady flow of all this that we are, are listening to and hearing and reading, does anybody else find it just a little bit hard not to grow a little bit cynical? 
Like I find myself, I find my emotions kind of going with whatever's happening. So if there's political tension, I find myself having this tension. If there's COVID tension, I find myself having that COVID tension. And I kind of go up and down with what's happening around me. I'm so thankful, though, for the Acts 29 Church Planning Network. We are a part of the Acts 29 Church Planning Network, which is a global church planning organization that's got 750 churches that have been planted across, uh, across the world. And one of the things that Acts 29 has done for us pastors in this season is uh, that one of their leaders, a guy by the name of Brian Howard, has done these coaching calls for us pastors. Because as a pastor, in this season of life, we're asking all these questions, like how do we lead the church through uh, this political climate? How do we lead the church when there are so many people in the church that have such differing political tension amongst the church? How do we lead the church when, uh, like, Omicron or whatever's coming up? And, and, and what, do we, what do we do to lead the church through this so the church can thrive? And as pastors, we're kind of like, man, the way that we thought we knew how to do ministry, everything's changing. And I feel that tension, that roller coaster. I'm up and down, up and down. But as Brian Howard does these coaching calls, the question he always asks is, what do we know? What do we know? We don't know what tomorrow holds. But we do know, we do know that Jesus walked out of the grave. We do know that God is on the throne. We do know that Jesus said, I will build my church, and guess what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know this. We know it to be true. And Brian Howard says, listen, if God's on the throne, if God said, I'm going to build the church, that means that God's hand is on the church. And the church will survive no matter what we face. And I tell you what, as a pastor who's kind of been on this roller coaster, it's so encouraging and comforting to have a leader saying, you know what, no matter what tomorrow holds, the church belongs to God, and God's still going to grow his church. God's still going to lead his church, regardless of what today holds, regardless of what tomorrow holds. God is still in control. Do you know people like that? That no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in their life, they're not swept up in emotion, but they have a faith and a trust in God. No matter what happens, God is still in control. That God has given us that promise, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So even though things are difficult, God is with us in the middle of it. Man, I love people who have a faith like that. I want a faith like that. Now, obviously, when we talk about people with strong faith, we talk about the faith of a mustard seed. Most of us are like, yeah, man, I've got a strong faith. Yeah, look at me. You know, I, gave, I prayed a prayer a long time ago. I've been in church for years. Of course I've got a strong faith. But here's, here's, what, here's what I want us to look at. In Matthew chapter 17, again, that's the passage where Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. But the context for what Jesus said, for, for Jesus saying that, the context for Matthew 17 is there was a man who had a son who was possessed by a demon. And the disciples, Jesus' disciples, the guys who have followed Jesus for years, who have watched him do all these miracles, who have listened to all of his teachings in person. Any of you guys been in person with Jesus doing miracles and listening to all his teachings? No, we haven't done that. These disciples, they've been with Jesus through all of that. And they couldn't heal the man's son. 
So then Jesus comes in, and Jesus casts the demon out. And the disciples are like, whoa, Jesus, how come we couldn't heal the man? How come we couldn't cast out the demon? And you know what Jesus' response was? Because you have such little faith. You have such little faith. And again, these are guys who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who were there when all these amazing things happened. See, perhaps, perhaps faith is more than us just praying a prayer. Perhaps faith is more than us being in church for a long time and hearing a lot of sermons and be able to sing a lot of songs. Perhaps our faith sometimes is not as strong as we think. I mean, we might say, well, of course, of course I trust God. Of course I trust God to provide for me. I mean, we would say that. We trust God to provide for us, right? Well, if we were to strip that down, maybe we trust uh, our job to provide for us and our education and our connections to get us the right job. And we trust that to provide for us because what would happen if God took everything away from you? What would happen if God took your education away? He took your career away. He took your job away. Would you still trust him to provide for you? Hey, we get in this situation where we're like, hey, God is all I need to be happy. God is, as Christians, God is all we need to be happy. And we say that. But then in the other breath, we're like, oh, you know what? I just need to get another weekend in the mountains. I need another drink. I need whatever it happens to be, and I'll just be happy for the moment. See, I think that perhaps if we're going to be honest, there are areas that we claim to have such a strong faith in God. But if we're going to be honest, maybe our faith is not as strong and as deep and as big as we think. See, I want to bring this idea of a faith that moves mountains. Because as we enter in this new year, many of us are making goals for this upcoming year. We're looking at what we want to accomplish in 2022. But let me ask you this. As you think about what you want to do in 2022, what if we could have a faith that truly moved mountains? What if we had a faith that could move? What kind of difference would that make in our lives? What kind of difference would that make in the lives of our family? What kind of difference would that make in our church and in our city if we had a faith that could move mountains? What if, what if our faith was not swept away by whatever political or, 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 or tension that our world is going in? But what if our faith could remain calm and at peace no matter what's going on because we know that God is in control, that God is working things out for our good and for his glory. In fact, let me say this. As you think about 2022, the most important thing that you can do for yourself, the most important thing that you can do for your family, for your workplace, for our city, for our church, the most important thing that you can do is to grow your faith, to grow your trust and belief in who God is, and to believe that he is able. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to start a new series called Bold Faith. We're going to look at a, at a couple passages from the Old Testament, all centered on the life of a guy by the name of Elisha, a guy who had a huge, bold faith. And as we look at these stories of Elisha, they're going to challenge us. They're going to challenge us maybe to take some steps of faith to grow our faith, 
It's going to challenge us to say, we've got this faith muscle. Maybe we need to flex that muscle a little bit and work it out. And maybe this year, God would grow our faith to where maybe some of us will be able to see some mountains moved in our lives and in our family and in our city. In fact, I believe that for some listening today, I believe this could be a defining moment in your relationship with God. That if we were to take these things serious, that we would see that we could have a faith and a trust in God, or that we could see mountains moved, or we could endure whatever the world throws at us. This morning, we're in 1 Kings chapter 19, the passage that Jake read for us this morning. A little bit of a background as we look at this passage. The nation of Israel had been God's chosen people, but they had turned their back on God. They had not followed God for a period of time, and they had 19 consecutive evil kings in a row over the nation of Israel. And then in comes this guy by the name of Ahab, King Ahab. He was a wicked king, and he married a woman who was even wickeder than him. Her name was Jezebel. And the Bible says that under their reign, the Bible says that they did more evil in the eyes of God than anyone who came before them. This is a pretty wicked couple. And what does God do? God raised up a prophet. A guy by the name of Elijah, different than Elisha. We're just gonna call him the prophet because otherwise we're gonna get it confused. God raised a prophet up to take a stand against the evil king. And God did some amazing things through that prophet. God did some amazing things through there. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, this prophet is kind of nearing the end of his days. He recognizes, hey, my ministry is going to begin to come to an end. And so he starts to think about, well, what's next? And that's where our story picks up. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. The prophet departed the place that he was, and he found Elisha, the son of Saphat, plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. Don't you notice who Elisha is? Elisha, he's not a prophet. He's not a seminary student. He's not some spiritual giant. Elisha is simply an ordinary guy working an ordinary job. What's his job? He's a farmer. It says that he was driving a plow behind the oxen. Listen, let me just throw this out. If you ever think you got a pretty crummy job, at least you aren't Elisha. Because you think about you think about him driving the plow behind the oxen. What is his view out his mirror every day? What is his view out his his work window? Oxen tails, oxen rear ends, oxen behinds. Right? At least your job is a little better than that if you can picture that visual. And so it says that the prophet finds Elisha behind the oxen and, and the prophet passed by and he cast his cloak around him. Now this cloak would have been like a jacket. It would have been a covering that was over him. And what's happening here is that when the prophet finds Elisha, he takes his cloak off himself and he puts it on Elisha. And this is all symbolic. You gotta see the symbolism behind this. Because essentially the prophet is saying, hey, this that has covered me is now going to cover you, right? I'm passing the baton. This baton has been on me, and now I'm taking the baton. I'm going to give it to you, and I want you to follow me, and I'll be your teacher, and you'll be my student. I'll be your, I'll be your Mr. Miyagi, and someday then you will become Mr. Miyagi, and here's what we see. Elisha is found plowing 
the field behind oxen backsides. He is faithful in the task that he has been placed in. You know, I don't, I don't know if this was Elisha's dream job, was to stand behind the oxen rears every day. But there's a principle here. And the principle is that, that when we are faithful in the little things, even if they involve oxen backsides, God notices. God notices Elisha. He notices his faithfulness. And listen, oftentimes this is how God works. Where when you and I, when we're in a season, whatever the season it might be, no matter how mundane our season of life might be, no matter, no matter what circumstance we're in, when we are faithful in those little things, God notices our faithfulness. And it's oftentimes in those times when we are faithful in the little things, that's often when God shows up. God says, listen, I've got something for you. I've got something new for you. A job, a ministry, an opportunity, a new school, a new relationship. God says, I've got something for you. See, so often we think that greatness is found by us going and creating it on our own or finding it or making it happen. No, greatness is a result of us being faithful in the little things and waiting for God to open the door. And that's where we find Elisha, faithful in the little things until God comes and says, I got something new for you. And look how Elisha responds, verse 20. Elisha, he left the oxen and he ran after the prophet and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, then I'll follow you. The prophet said, go ahead, but do not forget what I've done for you. Now, I want to contextualize this a little bit. Like, we heard this story about uh, Elisha, but put yourself in his shoes, all right? Do you, can you imagine Elisha? He's probably got some plans for the future, right? Like, he's probably, probably wants a girl. He's probably on FarmersOnly.com. He's swiping left and right to all the little farmer girls. He's going to want a girl at some point. I imagine he's probably thinking about the farm. And it's like, man, I'd love to expand the farm. Like, we could add some acreage. You can imagine Elisha's probably thinking, well, if I could figure out how to build a tractor, then I wouldn't have to look at oxen backsides every day, right? Like I can imagine Elisha, he's probably got some plans and some things he wants to accomplish. But here comes the prophet. The prophet says, follow me. What do you say? If I'm in his shoes, I'm like, well, where are we going? You say, follow, where are we going? Why, why do you want me to follow you? Like, what are we going to do? Like, like, how long are we going to be gone? When are we coming back? What do I need to pack? Where are we going? What are we, give me some answers here. I need some details. But Elisha doesn't have any answers. Doesn't have any details. Simply, God speaks to him through the prophet. And notice, Elisha doesn't pray about it. He doesn't make a list of the pros and cons for all the reasons why he should or shouldn't follow the prophet. He doesn't consult a counselor. No, it says that when God speaks to him, uh, verse 20 says, he left the oxen and he ran after the prophet. He said, hey, let me go say goodbye to mom and dad. The prophet says, go for it, go for it. See, Elisha simply believed that God was in this. And even without all the details, even without any knowledge of how things were going to work out, he obeyed immediately. You know, the Bible is full of people just like this. The Bible is full of people that, despite the fact that they were going to face some challenging odds, they obeyed God even when they didn't have all the details. Think about this. In, in, in Genesis chapter 12, 
there's a guy by the name of Abraham. And God says, I want you to go. Go to the land I'm going to show you. Where, where, where's that land? How long is it going to take me to get there? I don't really know. But Abraham obeys and goes and becomes the father of the Jewish nation. Uh, Exodus chapter 4. Moses is in the wilderness. He's on the run. And what does God do? God comes and says, I want you to go. I want you to go back to Egypt. And Moses, of course, all the reasons why he shouldn't. Well, God, what do you want me to do there? Don't you know I'm wanted for murder? But Moses obeys, and he goes, and he leads God's people out of captivity. Matthew chapter 14, disciples are in a boat, and Jesus comes walking on the water. So it's like, ooh, check this guy out. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, come. And what does Peter do? He steps out of the boat and walks in the water towards Jesus. See, as we're talking about growing a bold faith, having a faith the size of a mustard seed, a faith that moves mountains, oftentimes what God wants to do in us and through us, oftentimes the way that we grow a faith that moves mountains is it requires that we step in and obey God even when we don't have all the details. I know that some of us, our nature is, well, I'm, I'm a little bit controlling, right? I want to know all the details. I want to know their security. I want to I make sure I can weigh all the options to make sure I can guarantee things are going to be successful. But if we're going to have a faith like Elisha, a faith that moves mountains, a faith that we can have peace no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, I think we have to be willing to obey God even when we don't have all the details. And when we don't know how things are going to work out, we simply have to trust and believe that God is good enough. And say, yes, God, I'll take you wherever you lead me, I'll go. That's what Elisha does. But there's more to the story of Elisha. Look at, look at verse 21. It says, Elisha returned from the prophet and he took the yoke of the oxen. Remember the oxen? The oxen were how he made a living. This was his job. This was his security. And what does it say he does? He sacrificed them and he burnt their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and he gave to the people and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah or went after the prophet and assisted him. See, here's, here's Elisha. God says, I want you, I want you to follow after the prophet and eventually you become a prophet yourself. I want you to go. And what does Elisha do? He kills the cows and he burns the plows. For Elisha, there's no plan B. He makes a decision and says, I'm taking all my chips. I'm going all in after God. I'm not going to keep this thing back here in case things don't work out. I'm going all in after God. Now, let me, I'm a dad. I've got five kids, right? If one of my kids comes in with this plan and says, hey, dad, the prophet came, wants me to follow him. I'm going to kill the cows and burn the plows. I'm going to say, hey, son, like, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of your faith, but ah, let's be wise here, right? Let's be wise here. Like, 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 good, go follow God, but maybe you should keep the cows and the plows. You might need them in the future, right? Like, what if this God thing doesn't work out for you? But Elisha shows incredible faith in killing the cows and burning the plows. He says, I'm all in after God. 
I'm not halfway following you. I'm not, I'm not keeping my options open in case it doesn't work out. I'm not one foot following you, one foot pursuing my own thing. Elisha is all in. In fact, think about the disciples. Matthew chapter four, Jesus is walking around and he finds, he finds Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. And these guys were fishermen. That's what they were doing. They were fishing. Remember what Jesus said to them? He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And what do the disciples do? Scripture says they left their nets. They left it all behind to follow after Jesus. They left everything to follow him. See, I think a bold faith, a faith that moves mountains, how many of us, how many of us have stunted our faith? Because we're holding on to that thing. We're holding on to the past. We're holding on to what gives us comfort. We're holding on to the wisdom of the world. When God wants to do so much more, if we would just trust him and go all in. See, I love the story of Elisha. Because we looked at three verses today that have such power and such conviction to us. That if we as a people of God, if we want to have a faith that moves mountains, a faith that moves mountains in our lives and in our family and in our city, if we want to be a people that can have peace no matter what storm of life we find ourselves in, we've got to learn from the faith of Elisha. Because Elisha is teaching us today that a bold faith, even the faith the size of a mustard seed, it comes as we let go of our security. And fully trust God, even without knowing all of the details. That's what Elisha is teaching us today. That if we're going to have a bold faith, it requires that we go all in. We let go of our security. And trust him completely, even when we don't know how things are going to work out. I got two questions of application to let you think about this. First one, first question I want to ask you this morning. Where is God asking you to trust him in obedience this year? Where is God asking you to trust him in obedience this year? Because here's part of following God. Part of us following God means we have to get off the throne of our lives and let God be God. Right? We all have ideas on how life works, on the way things should operate. We have ideas and thoughts and convictions and beliefs, and the world influences that, and God influences. We all have these different things. But listen, if God is God, if God is God, then we have to let him be on top, and we surrender and follow him. So where is it? Where is it that you need to trust God with your obedience even if you don't know how it's going to work out. Maybe for you, maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you're like, my marriage is a struggle. It'd be so much easier to just cash it in and move on. Listen, maybe God's word for you this morning is simply to stay. You don't have to understand how it's going to work out for you to obey. Faith trusts God and does what God asks us to do. Maybe for you, maybe, maybe even feeling this conviction, this, 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 thing, this desire to start something new, a new business, 
a new idea, a new ministry. Maybe, maybe you're like, man, I feel like God's calling me maybe to, to go do some foster care or to go do this or that. But you're looking, you're like, well, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know how I'm gonna pay for this thing. I just, I don't know how it's gonna work out. Listen, maybe God's word for you this morning is to start, to start. You don't have to have it all figured out for you to obey God. Some of us are dealing with habits and addictions and things that we've held on to. And maybe simply God's word for you today is, is quit. You know you shouldn't be in those things. Maybe God's simply saying to you, trust me, obey me, and quit. Maybe for you, you're like, man, I've been in this season where I've been struggling. I've had these emotional things and I've been trying to handle them on, on my own. And maybe God's word for you today is, is get some help. You're not alone. Reach out. Get some people around you to walk alongside you. Maybe this, maybe some, there are some, maybe you've just been hanging around church for a long time, right? You're kind of observing. You're not really engaged. You're not really plugged in. Maybe you're a little hesitant. I want to see how things shake out. I want to see if I'm going to fit in here. Listen, maybe God's word for you this year is to commit. Stop watching what God is doing and get involved. Where is it that God is asking you to trust him with your obedience this year? And secondly, what plows do you need to burn to trust God completely? What plows do you need to burn? What are the things that get in the way of you having full obedience to God? See, many of us, many of us are kind of like Linus from the cartoon Peanuts. You know, Linus is the one that carries a little security blanket around with him, right? And that's what many of us do. We walk around, we're like, hey, I love Jesus. I have full faith in him while I'm dragging my little safety and comfort and, and peace with me here, and I won't let go of that. And you know, that thing keeps us from fully surrendering to God. What plow do you need to burn this year so you can fully trust God completely. I remember talking to a man a number of years ago, a guy who loved Jesus, was all on fire for Jesus until football season started. Football season started, he's like, well, man, I, I, I'm in this money fantasy football league and I got a couple different leagues and I got my teams and, and comes football season, man, this guy's gone from church. He's just MIA. And I remember having this conversation with him and he said, you know, my kids started noticing. And my kids were like, Dad, man, you sure love Jesus, except during football season. It's like, you know? And so the guy said, I remember him saying, you know, I claim to love God, but my life isn't showing it. He made the decision to burn the plow, quit the fantasy football thing, got rid of the red zone package on cable, I gotta burn the plow to go all in to God. What plow do you need to burn? I've got a friend who uh, lives in Reno. And this is a guy, he, he had a great job, a great job, made a lot of money. Uh, his job is he sold gaming machines across the country. And uh, I mean, just very successful at what he did. I remember him talking and he's saying, you know, I, I felt like God was speaking to me. I felt like God was saying, hey, you know what? I want you to be a pastor. And he's like, well, that's great, except I've got this great career. 
And this career is going to take care of my family for, for the future. This career, I make enough money that I can help support the church and church planning. I can do great things with all the resources that God gives me. And so he wrestled with this feeling that, like God was calling him into full-time ministry, calling him to be a pastor. Wrestled with this for years until finally he said, you know what? I got to burn the plow. I got to burn the plow. And he quit his job. He planted a church in, in Reno three years ago. Now I'll tell you, this guy is, is, is killing it. This guy is making a tremendous impact on South Reno because he burned the plow and trusted God. Listen, what plow is it that you need to burn? What plow is it that you need to burn that is keeping you from fully trusting and obeying God? Social media, your cell phone. Nobody says you have to have a smartphone. Is it an addiction? What plow do you need to burn? What plow do you need to get rid of? Is it the friend that every time you hang out with a friend, you do dumb things? Listen, don't burn that person literally. But maybe that's a friend that you're like, you know, I can't do this anymore. This isn't helping me pursue this God thing. I'm, I'm not gonna do this anymore. See, what happens, oftentimes, the people that God uses the most are the people that hold on to the least. All right, God, whatever you have for me, I'll go. So go all in and burn the plow. In fact, I want to close with the story of this church right here. See, 10 years ago, my wife and I were working at Madison House. And I loved working at Madison House, had a tremendous impact on, on hundreds and hundreds of kids. And God gave us a heart. God gave us a heart for a church that it didn't matter what background you came from. It didn't matter what color your skin was. It didn't matter what kind of job you worked. It didn't matter what your, your economic status was. God gave us a heart for a church where we could all come and worship Jesus together. I'd say God didn't give us much more than just a heart for that kind of a church. But while God, God gave us a heart, we also, uh, on the other side, we had a five-year plan. We're working at Madison House, and we're like, hey, here's where we want to be in five years. Our kids are going to be here and there, and this is what we want. I had a pastor friend, and, and uh, uh, his church was growing, and he's like, hey, Kevin, I'd love to have you come on staff with us. And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to come on. That would be a dream job. It would be amazing. So we had our five-year plan all figured out. And then I got a call from another friend of mine. He says, hey, Kevin, our church, we want, we want to plant a new church. We want to plant a church similar to like what you've talked about, a place where everybody is welcomed. I'm like, man, that's awesome. You guys are awesome. Go do that. He said, Kevin, here's the thing. We want you to plant it. I'm like, no, no. I, I've got a five-year plan. Like, I've got, I've got things I want to do. Planning a church was risky and scary. And I, rem I remember I went home and I told Sam, yeah, I met with so-and-so today and he, here's what he asked me to do. And she said, well, what'd you say? And I said, I said, no, that's not our plan. And with a tear in her eye, she said, Kevin, I think, I think maybe that's what God's calling us to do. <laughs> we didn't have all the details. Honestly, if we knew how hard it was gonna be, we would have ran the other direction as far as we could. But by faith, by faith, we said, okay, God, we're in. We burned the plows. 
I quit my job. I told my pastor friend, hey, we're going to go do this church planting thing. We planted restoration in April of 2013. And here we are, nine years later, 2022. Look at all that God has done. Like, I'm not very good at keeping record of these things. But we've, right here, had dozens and dozens of people get baptized. We've had dozens of people give their life to Jesus and have their life changed because we said yes to God, because we were willing to burn the plow. I don't know exactly what God has for you. I don't know the plans he has for your life. But I know this. I know that the faith, even as small as a mustard seed, the faith that moves mountains in our own lives, the faith that moves mountains in the lives of our family, lives in our city, in our church, that faith comes as we step away from our security and we fully trust God. Even we don't have all the answers. Even we don't have a guarantee that things are going to work out good. When we kill the cows and burn the plows, that is when we trust that God will work in us and through us. Let's pray.